Stanford University. You're listening to a podcast from Stanford Center on Poverty and Inequality. I'm Diantha Parker. Today on the podcast, with Washington focused on shrinking the budget deficit, it may well be inevitable that a new administration will consider changes to federal programs that assist the poor. The question is, what will changes to these programs mean in the short and long term for low- and middle-income Americans? Indivar Dutta is with the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities in Washington. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan research institution that focuses on tax and budget policy. Dutta says that many Americans still depend on these programs because the modest economic recovery some of the country's experiencing still hasn't reached them. Take, for example, the temporary unemployment insurance benefits that are scheduled to expire this year. These programs have worked together to lift over 3 million people out of poverty in 2010 and even in 2009, and we've never allowed a temporary unemployment insurance benefits program to expire with the unemployment rate above 7.2%. As of this podcast, unemployment is above 7.5%. He gives the Earned Income Tax Credit as another example. It's a subsidy for low- and moderate-income working families. Emphasis on working. Families only qualify for the credit if they have earnings from employment, and it has been proven to be very effective at encouraging and incentivizing work, especially among single mothers. But Dutta also says we can't really achieve significant debt reduction by reducing waste and fraud in certain programs. One of the best known, and one of the most maligned, he says, is the food stamp program, now known as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. Programs like SNAP have uh, incredibly strong records of program integrity, very few rates of errors, despite the very large amounts of money overall spent on these programs to help people afford needed nutrition and food. SNAP dollars go right back into the economy, potentially aiding the economic recovery. Dutta says other low-income programs might do even more in this vein, including the Earned Income Tax Credit and Head Start. He says that decades on, it's now clear some of their benefits are most visible in the long term. Kids who benefit from these programs, they tend to work more, higher rates of graduating from high school, and have higher earnings as adults. So these are very long-term investments that really the federal government is best positioned to make because the gains really accrue Uh, to us all and not particularly to a single family or a single state or locality. Dutta also insists that spending on various programs for the needy is not, as some argue, what's caused the country's debt to jump. Just the Bush-era tax cuts alone have uh, nearly doubled our deficits in uh, recent years and, and will do so in the next few years. So just letting those tax cuts expire Uh, gradually in the next few years would significantly improve our deficit situation. Dutta Gupta says there's a growing sentiment that spending on programs that help the poor is an investment, even when the country is considering deficit reduction. Cutting these programs might save in the short term, but hamper long-term economic gains. Dutta Gupta also says there are some areas where spending needs to be addressed. We do have some aging of the population. It will take us some time to figure out how to control health care cost growth uh, in the coming years. 
but we have also chosen to wage wars from which veterans will be returning and will need care and benefits. We have new federal responsibilities for homeland security that we didn't have 15 years ago. And we also have new federal responsibilities for education, which are quite important. Dutta Gupta suggests that addressing long-term deficits will require a balance of revenues and carefully constructed cuts that do not harm vulnerable Americans, or programs that seem to have long-term implications for both them and the deficit. As he says, this means protecting Medicare for the elderly and Medicaid for the very poor. We have already agreed to very significant budget cuts in the last few years, uh, but we have largely spared the major federal health programs, and for good reason. One, they're largely effective and efficient. And two, while they are significant contributors to our long-term fiscal problem, uh, we don't know yet the best ways to reduce spending on those programs without harming beneficiaries. Dutta Gupta points out that Medicare and Medicaid pay lower reimbursement rates to providers than comparable insurance plans do. He fears that if private sector health care costs keep growing, they'll exacerbate the growing gap between health care for the wealthy and the rest of the country. He admits there are some people who believe the private sector would control health care costs better than the government would. But this is actually one of the best examples of where government, with its potentially large bargaining power, its uh, lack of incentive to cut people from coverage, which private health coverage does have, and with its uh, ability to have very low administrative and marketing costs overall, can provide an important service much more efficiently than can the private sector. With good systems in place to control runaway medical costs, Dudagupta argues we could make real dents in the deficit without harming the poor. And, he says, large spending cuts have already been made that could set these wheels in motion. We've already agreed to cut nearly a trillion dollars over 10 years in non-defense discretionary spending. This means we're already on schedule to fall to historic lows for this kind of spending, on things like Head Start, low-income rental assistance, and other programs. Dudagupta says we need to appreciate that low-income programs, aside from health care, are not contributing to deficits. For example, in the 1990s, he says, some of the largest increases in the earned income tax credit and improvements in the SNAP program and creation of the Children's Health Insurance Program all came in deficit reduction bills. They proved we could reduce the deficit with bipartisan support and without increasing poverty and inequality. So Dudagupta is hopeful we can do so again. listening to a podcast from Stanford Center on Poverty and Inequality. This episode was produced in partnership with the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The editors of this podcast series are Christopher Weimer and Michelle Poulin, and I'm Diantha Parker. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next time. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.